Well, first of all, I'd just like to say how much I appreciate Vaughn and his willingness to uh, step in kind of at the last minute. Owens was scheduled to lead singing, but he had a procedure done to his back, and uh, he's kind of out of it for a while. So uh, Vaughn was willing to uh, step in, and, you know, even though it's a struggle for Vaughn a little bit, he still leads with enthusiasm, doesn't he? And I appreciate him, and I appreciate all of our men and women who serve in so many different ways in the congregation, doing what is needed. And we're kind of, kind of get to that here in a minute. But we have been in the book of Hebrews for quite some time. Guess what? We're really close. <laughs> now this Ronald thought this was it. No, not quite. But really close. Really close. Unless the Spirit moves me in a different direction, we're going to have one more and then a a review, and then we'll be done. But we have been looking at the book of Hebrews and its uh, mandate, really, that as a church family, that we encourage one another. Uh, We've seen that specifically this congregation here, this group of people that he's writing to, Some of them were on the verge of giving up. And he comes in and he basically says throughout the book, why would you do that? You have so much to look forward to. What you have now is so much greater than what you had in the past. Why would you give up? And he says, and the rest of you, you need to encourage each other. And we've used this verse, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that no one may... Be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You've come to share in Christ or we have come to share in Christ. If we hold firm with confidence to the end. I don't think that's in there. It is there. there. It is in there. The confidence we had at first. Now I got to tell you, sitting in my office, I could do that a hundred times and never mess up. But believe it or not, even after all these years, you people are scary. Okay, some of you more scary than others. Uh, but we've been looking at that and, and, and encouraging one another. Now we've come to chapter 13 where, where we seem to have this uh, last minute items that the writer seems to be throwing in. And he's going to do that today, what we're going to look at today. You know, we, uh, we live in a society that, that is increasingly having a lack of... Of respect for authority. We have a lot of public school teachers here. A lot of people that work in, in the school system. And you know, there is a lack of respect for authority. We have law enforcement folks. There is a lack for the respect of authority. Parents in the family. There's a, and that's where it begins, I believe, by the way. There's a lack of respect for authority. Now, I got to tell you. From my upbringing, my personal upbringing, I don't get that. Because as most of you know, I grew up the son of a military officer. And there was no lack of respect for authority in my house. It did not exist. If it did, it would be beaten out of you. And my parents expected that respect for authority to be extended not just beyond the home but into the school 
or the practice field with the coaches or the boss at work or whatever. You have that respect for authority. But we live in a world in which that is not so much the case. And our writer here talks about the authority that we have or the the spiritual authority that is over us as a body of Christ. So in chapter 13 and verse 17, he writes, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. So this morning we're going to talk a little bit about the spiritual authority within the congregation. We're going to talk a little bit about the elders. And I tell you that this time speaking on this subject is quite different for me than any other time I've ever done it. Because I believe, to the best of my recollection, this is the first time that I have spoken on this subject since being appointed one of the elders. I went back and I looked several different times. I preached on this subject and this topic. And I went back and I looked at all those sermons and I I looked at what I had to say and and things like that. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take off my elder hat. And I'm going to put on my strictly preacher member hat. And I'm going to look at our relationship with church authority and the elders as if I was just one of you because I am just one of you. And so we see that our writer here talks about The responsibility that we have to our church leadership. Any organization has to have organization. Doesn't that sound good? I think I made that up, but you can quote me if you want to. Any organization has to have organization, otherwise it would be total chaos. I mentioned I grew up in a military family. There is a very strict organization within the military. You have the soldiers and the NCOs and they go on up to the, you know, sergeants and master chiefs or whatever. And then you have the officers and they go from, you know, the lieutenants all the way up to the four star generals. And it is very specific. And I've always thought how odd it is that a 22 year old commissioned first lieutenant has authority over a 20-year veteran sergeant in the army. That is odd to me, but that is the organization of the military. And it is very strict within that. Those of you that work and out and you have jobs at companies and different places, there is some structure, some organization to where you work. There is a, you have a boss or a manager or whatever, and that person answers to somebody else who answers to somebody else, who may answer to the CEO, who may then answer to the board, you know. So there is hierarchy. That's the good word I was looking for, along with organization. And so the church is not any different. God understood. And remember, it was God's plan that we have 
local congregations of God's people, the local body. There is the church universal out there, all of us. But then there is the local church body, the local church family. And within that local church, there needs to be some sort of organization. And God said, we're going to have, and he set up these elders and deacons, but specifically we're talking about elders today. After Paul and Barnabas went out and established churches on the first missionary journey, they went back through and appointed elders in each of those towns. Now, notice, first of all, that it is elders plural in each town. There is not a specific one elder. Never is in the New Testament do you find a particular one elder in any congregation. And I think that's for several reasons. One, it kind of helps prevent one person leading the congregation astray. It keeps one person from having too much authority and getting too big headed. As well. And so we have these elders. And in the New Testament, there's three different words that are used to describe what we traditionally call elders. There's that word presbyteros, which is translated in your English Bibles as either elder or presbyter. And from these words, you kind of get an idea of what elders are and what elders do. Here you get the idea of. An older, remember, we're not talking about me today. You get the idea of an older, wiser kind of person whose judgment you respect, mature spiritually. Then you have that second word, episkopos, which in your English translation is either overseer or bishop. And you get the idea that, you know, ultimately, somebody or some group of people have to make the ultimate decisions. There are all kinds of decisions that are made within the church family all the time. Sometimes the elders delegate some of those decisions. Maybe to the deacons or maybe to other people who are in charge of certain things. They delegate some of those decisions. But if there's ever a conflict there's ever a quarrel, if there's ever a situation, ultimately somebody has to make those decisions, has to oversee. And those are the elders. And then there's that word poimain, which is translated either shepherd or pastor. And you really get the idea of what an elder's work is from that. To lead, to guard, to protect, to feed the flock. And that is what our elders should do. We have the qualification of elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And again, that talks about what the qualifications, but not necessarily the responsibilities. We see, I believe, from these three words, the responsibilities of elders. So as the writer tells us today, Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage to you. I wanted, first of all, to look at what is the elder's responsibility to God. Now, this is, for an elder, the most humbling of concepts. The idea that an elder... 
Isn't it daunting enough as an individual to know that you are accountable for yourself to God? That's pretty. Parents. Isn't it kind of daunting to know that to some extent you are accountable for your children and their upbringing and their foundation and their faith? Now, yes, there comes a point in time where they can choose and do their own thing. But how we bring them up, we're responsible for that as parents. James tells us that not many should be teachers because you're going to be judged more harshly. Bible class teachers, it's a little daunting, should be. Make you think a little bit about the responsibility you have to teach the word of God to other people. And then you have elders who are not only going to answer for themselves before God, but are going to answer for how they took care of the sheep. How they fulfilled their God-given responsibility. Their God-given call. That is something that I know this eldership takes seriously. And the previous elderships that I've worked under for the last 30 years, I know have taken that very seriously. It is a heavy burden because we don't just answer for ourselves. or They don't answer for themselves, but answer for their watch and care for the flock. They answer for their prayer and their study and their teaching. And so we need to respect their responsibility to God. On that day, I won't just answer to God for myself. I will answer to God for how I watched out for the flock. But also we have to look at the elders' responsibility to us as the members. What are the elders' responsibility to us? Well, first of all, I believe that elders ought to be those that lead by example. That ought to be number one. I believe that's why within the qualifications of elders found in Timothy and Titus, that you get the idea of someone who has already proven themselves to be elder-like, essentially. You know, they may not have the title of elder, but they're doing elder things. They're already watching out for part of the flock. They're already teaching. They're already doing these different things. And so they're leading by example. If somebody... Be careful how I say this maybe. But if somebody has to change their behavior or character because they have been appointed as an elder, I think something's wrong there. I think something's gone a little haywire. Oh, well, now I'm an elder, so now I have to. I think the kind of men that we envision, that we see in the qualifications in 1 Timothy and Titus are men who are already in doing those type things. Now, maybe they may visit more often or they may pray or they may specifically target certain members that maybe they have not done before, but they're already kind of doing those type things. They study and they teach. 
I think one of the biggest responsibilities of an eldership is to make sure that the church does not drift from God's word. Does not go astray from, from what God has taught and what God has commanded. Well, I can't do that based on my opinion. You know, I got some opinions. That'll shock some of you. But I've got some opinions. But when it comes down to deciding a direction that the church ought to go, as an elder, doesn't matter about my opinion. I need to know what God's Word has to say about it. And elders need to study God's Word. Elders need to pray and ask for God's guidance. And I can assure you that the elders you have do that. Occasionally, the elders will have to discipline when needed. You know, the elders may have to, to say, look, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction. You need to watch out for this. Now, we don't like that. We talked about discipline a little later, earlier when we were in chapter 12. We don't like to be disciplined. We don't like, you know, people telling us we're doing wrong. But remember that he tells us that that's for our own benefit. It's for our own good. We watch, the elders watch for the flock. And occasionally the flock has to be reminded. Maybe scolded. Remember when Paul is talking to Timothy about preach the word and fulfill the, the, the role of an evangelist. He says rebuke, correct, and instruct, and encourage. Well, all those would apply to elders as well. That sometimes discipline is necessary. In keeping with our theme for the book of Hebrews, elders ought to encourage us not to give up. Elders ought to be on the front line of looking out for the flock and and making sure that that none of them are, are straying away and encouraging each other not to give up. They ought to pray for us. And the elders do. And they look to what is in the best interest of the congregations in the congregation. They make elders have to make tough decisions. And not all of them are biblical decisions. Does that make sense? In fact, in my short time as an elder, I have found that the biblical questions are the easiest ones to handle. Something comes up as to whether this or this is not scriptural. Well, we can study that and we can look through it and we can come to a conclusion. The hardest decisions elders have to make are those that are not biblically based, but are matters of judgment and are matters of opinion. At some point in time, I don't know when, I know it was longer than 32 years ago, But at some point in time, it was determined that we were going to observe the Lord's Supper before the sermon. Was that a biblical decision? I don't think you can find in the Bible where it says you've got to have it before or after the sermon. 
How many of you have been worshipped in places where communion was served after the sermon, toward the end of the service? Well, they must be wrong. Right? Because we do it before and we know we're right. So they must be wrong. No. It's not a matter of scripture. It's a matter of judgment. It's a matter of convenience for a particular congregation. And at some point in time, I assume the elders of this church, I don't know, I'm, I'm projecting way back, decided that this is when we were going to have communion. You think there were some people who objected? I guarantee you, there ain't no decision <laughs> that somebody doesn't object to. We get countless requests for help in missions field, mission fields, benevolence, assistance situations. There is no way we can honor all of them. It is financially impossible. So we as elders... Them, I said I wasn't going to be one today, but yeah, okay. We as elders, we have to make judgment calls. We have to decide what would be best. Where would our resources be be best used? Not that it's a matter of, well, these people aren't worthy. These people aren't scriptural over here in this particular mission work. But we have more invested over here. We have a, a stronger relationship over here. Or, or this work seems to be, be getting more done over here. We have, to, we have to make those decisions. And those are difficult. But they're based on judgment. Some time ago, we had to make a decision. On paving the parking lot. We struggled with that one. I'll tell you, we struggled with it because it was a big financial investment. Anything scriptural about paving the parking lot, go to the Bible to find out whether or not we can pave the parking lot. I don't think they had parking lots, so I don't think you're going to find it in there. And so it wasn't a matter of right or wrong. It was a matter of what seemed to be best at that particular time, the best investment. We were tired of listening to the ladies talk about the pebbles that they got in their shoes. No, that wasn't the only reason. (laughs) But we did get a lot of that. And it made sense. Now to us guys, it didn't make sense, right? Who cares about the pebbles out in the parking lot? We're not the ones that are getting them caught in our shoes or step on them with our heels. Something that should last a while that we won't have to redo over and over again. I only share that with you because that's just the type of decisions that, that elders have to make that aren't necessarily based on Bible. But are just based on whatever 
they think is, is appropriate and necessary for the congregation at that moment. And they may be tough decisions. And the last thing I had is their responsibility to us is the eldership must be unified. You know, the Supreme Court is another authoritative body that makes decisions. But you know how they do that, right? There's nine of them, right? Nine? Are there nine right now? I don't know. Anyway, I think there's nine. And they go through the court case and then they vote. And then two reports are issued. The majority report and the minority dissenting report. And everybody in the country knows who voted for it and who voted against it. That is not the way an eldership should work. An eldership should make decisions and when they come out, they are a united front. Since I have been an elder, this may shock you. But there have been some decisions that were made that I was not the most for. I won't say what is against it. But I wasn't the most for it. But you're not going to know about it. You're not going to know what decisions those were. I'm not going to come out of that meeting saying, well, I got voted down three to one. No. I hope that I portray as the other three portray that when we come out of that meeting, it was unanimous. It was unanimous. I, I did. Back when I was approached about being an elder by the previous administration. I told them that if that's really what they thought was best, that's really what they wanted, that I would do that. But I wanted them to know one thing. And it's kind of funny, but I meant it. If they ever voted to fire the preacher, it would be unanimous. It would absolutely be unanimous. And I think that's the way all the decisions ought to be made as an eldership. We as an eldership owe that to you. And you see, the way that that works is, the other thing is, I might be an an elder, but I am still to submit to the eldership. Just like every other member of the congregation. And so... If it's three to one, even though I may not like it, I submit to their wisdom. I submit to their authority. Because in and of myself, I have no authority. I have none. The eldership has the authority. And thirdly, what is our responsibility to them? Our responsibility to the elders. We obey and we submit to their authority. They are God's leaders. You want to know how seriously God takes disrespecting the authority that he has given to 
certain men. Remember back in the Old Testament, there were three guys, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And this is why the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. And they get fed up with Aaron and Moses. And they say to Aaron and Moses, and I'm paraphrasing, but almost a direct quote. Who do you think you are? That you have set yourself up above us. You're just a man. You're just men just like we're men. You're not, they're not special about you. And so we're not going to listen to you anymore. We're not going to obey you anymore. And God said, you're not revolting against Aaron and Moses. You're revolting against me. You want to know who put them in that situation? I did. And so the next morning, God told Moses to tell everybody, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Everybody, you better get away from their tents. As far as you can, get away from those three tents. And the ground opened up and swallowed them alive and closed back in over them. Me, myself, in and of myself, I have no authority other than what I bring from the word of God. But as an appointed eldership, appointed, the eldership is appointed by God. Now the individual elders are appointed within the congregation. But the idea of the eldership is appointed by God. And so we respect them and we obey them. We get united behind them for our own sake as a church and for the sake of outsiders. That they can see that we are not divided, that we are behind our leadership and doing what God would have us to do. We respect their responsibility and don't make everything an issue. Not everything is an issue. Not everything should have to be an issue. Don't make everything an issue. And do not try and divide the eldership. Some of you, none of you, it's the people who aren't here today. Some of the people who aren't here this morning are like little children. Who try to pit mama and daddy against each other. If you don't get an answer from one person, then you go to another person. That's why we, as an eldership, try. Sometimes we slip. We, as an eldership, try never to commit to anything that is brought to one of us. You come to me and ask me, would it be all right? I'm going to say, I'll get back with you on that. When we meet as a group. Don't try and divide the eldership. Because they're doing the best that they can to be unified. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. 
Just throwing that out there. It'd be kind of good. Be willing to work. Show love and unity to one another. And encourage them. Now I know that the elders, as the shepherds and the pastors, ought to be the ones that are encouraging the members. But every now and then the encouragers need encouraging. Now, some of you out there understand this because you are encouraging people. Some of you are the encouraging type. You're just always encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. But even you, every now and then, I know, you need to be encouraged. You need somebody to encourage you. And our elders need to be encouraged. We have been blessed. And just because, and I don't. 1926, I believe, is that correct? Can somebody, was when this, the Church of Christ was founded in, in, in Dangerfield? I think that's right. Met over here, I believe, in the courthouse at first, and then the old Presbyterian church. It's out there somewhere on, the, on a plaque over there somewhere. But I wasn't here in 1926. In fact... Well, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I don't think anybody was here in 1920. I would make them 90, 26, 99. They'd have to be, had just been born, be 93. Right? Is my math right? That's what it could be. Maybe Miss Vermel was here. I don't know. Miss Vermel may have been a little baby and was here. Well, anyway, where am I going with this? I was making a point. From the history, even though I became associated with church in 1987, from the history of this church, I am pretty convinced that it has had sound leadership all the way from the very beginning. I know since 1987, the leadership that we have had as elders has been outstanding. For the 20-something years before I became the preacher. The wisdom that I gained from the elders were vastly important. Then as I transitioned into this role as preacher, their wisdom and encouragement was important. And now as I've transitioned into that role as one of the elders, their fellowship And I even appreciate more now what the elders do. I thought I knew what they did. Wow. They do so much more. But we have a responsibility to submit and to obey and to encourage those who have been put in charge of us spiritually. And I know that that is what God intends for us. And that is what's best for the local congregation. I know this message had many evangelistic or in, in, you know, insightfully stirring in, in some way. But as a church family, we need to be reminded of God's plan and what God wants for his church family. If you're here this morning in some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. 
If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.